In 2007, TV network CBS dropped 40 kids in the middle of the New Mexico desert as part of a brand new reality show. These kids would have to build their own society from scratch. And if this sounds like Lord of the Flies to you, well, it was meant to. We were on this mission together, and we were going to prove to the world that we could make a better society than adults could. I'm Josh Gwynn, and I want to know what this wild TV experiment was really about. Split Screen, Kid Nation, a six-part podcast from CBC. Available now. You're listening to a Frequency Podcast Network production in association with City News. Four years. Home prices in Canada's largest cities, and recently, even in its smaller cities and towns, have gone in just one direction. In Canada's hot housing market, when a for sale sign goes up, it's quickly replaced with sold. This realtor says sales nearly doubled in the past year. It's insane. We're so busy and uh, completely run off our feet. New listings are surging as sellers try to cash in on record high prices. There's talks of cliffs and is the market going to burst? Is it going to pop? And this, what this report shows is no, it's not. In the beginning, way back when, the initial question was, how high can these prices go before we face an affordability crisis? Then, a few years later, the question became, when Canada's housing bubble would eventually burst. A few years later, it was a question of if it was really a bubble at all, or if it was just the reality of living in the world's most attractive countries in the 21st century. But a few months ago, something happened. After inflation hit, the Bank of Canada hiked interest rates, then they did it again, and again, and... Sales in the Toronto area plunged 41% in June compared to a year ago. In the Vancouver area, sales slipped 35%. Smaller markets like Calgary have also seen fewer sales. In Cambridge, Ontario, this home price was slashed by $200,000 since it was listed in March. In Waterloo, this sale price dove from almost $800,000 to $529,000 in a month. It might be an exaggeration to say that our housing market is currently collapsing, but the boom years are definitely ending. So in this new economy, who's winning in the market? Who's losing? More importantly, what does this mean for average Canadians who either have most of their personal wealth tied up in their home or are renting, hoping desperately to one day be able to afford one. Oh, and what does it mean for people and businesses who for a decade now have been treating Canadian homes as an investment, a really, really profitable investment? How's that working out for them now? I'm Jordan Heath-Rawlings. This is The Big Story. Ari Altstetter is a Toronto-based reporter for Bloomberg. He has been covering Canada's housing market for quite some time now. Hello, Ari. Hey, Jordan. Thanks for having me. You're welcome. I'm going to start with uh, the obvious question that we've been waiting to ask for years. I think McLean's magazine has asked it on their cover about 10 times. Has Canada's housing bubble finally burst? 
<laughs> well, that's a that's a pretty loaded question, and uh, you know is is perennially up for debate, uh, as you point out. What we do know, whether it's it's burst or not burst, is we do know that house prices have been falling for the last few months. Whether or not it was a bubble in the first place, well, that depends whether you think or how much you think house prices were overvalued. You know, that will really depend on how far they fall now. It's only just started. And the truth is, you know, at least on a national level, so far the house price decline hasn't been that big. It certainly hasn't been anything like what uh, could be termed a crash. That being said, you know, most economists expect this to continue. And whether or not we can say it was a bubble will depend on whether or not it pops. And whether or not it pops depends on how big a fall there is. Uh, so we're just kind of have to wait until to see how far down we go. Before we get into what's happening now and what we might see happen next, I want to touch on that first bit again just a little bit. Tell me some more about the debate that's been going on for years around whether or not this is a bubble or reality or true valuation. Like it's been, uh, as you said, you know, quite quite a conversation. Right. Well, I mean, I think the talk of whether or not Canada was in a housing bubble sort of started sometime after the the big housing crash in the U.S. 2008 after after their great financial crisis. Because what we saw in Canada is is we didn't really have a crash. House prices were hit during that time, and and the market did slow down. Uh, but very soon it was back up and running, and and home values were inflating again. Uh, and that's pretty much continued, kind of unbroken ever since. There was again in 27, 2018, there was sort of another dip when the government here made some policy changes regarding mortgage qualification and, and interest rates are rising then too. But even that didn't seem to really slow the market down all that much. And pretty soon prices were rising again. And so those long years of sustained price gains has led many people to say, well, it must be a bubble, particularly because price gains have come with a, a, a sort of an explosion in debt. They've been fueled by Canadians taking on more and more debt, uh, mortgage debt, to fuel, uh, uh, to buy houses and fuel those price gains. And so that led a lot of people to think, uh, well, hey, this, this has some of the hallmarks of, you know, what got the U.S. into trouble prior to 2008. So maybe the same thing is going on in Canada. The other side of that debate, though, is that Canada, unlike the U.S., we have very high levels of population growth due to our high levels of immigration. And so that creates a real demand for housing. All these people coming to the country need a place to live. And so the opposite of the bubble argument was that it's not a bubble because there's real demand driving it. These are real people who need places to live, and that's what's causing prices to go up, our growing population. And those are sort of the two sides of the argument, you know, going into uh, what the market is doing right now. So tell me what it's doing now and maybe start with when did we first start to see the market slow down and, and what was behind that? Well, 
The market, which had been on through the course of the pandemic, really a, a historic tear, uh, both in terms of you know, just the, the number of homes that were selling and the rate at which prices were going up. You know, in the two years up to around the beginning of this year, price had gone up 50% nationally in Canada, which is a, a very, very fast, uh, pretty much unprecedented rate of gain. That all changed very abruptly in March of this year. And the trigger is pretty clear. It's the Bank of Canada which had been holding its benchmark interest rate at a record low throughout the pandemic to try to help get the economy over the hump that the pandemic caused, the Bank of Canada started raising that rate starting in March. And since then, it's raised that rate very, very quickly. 0.25% beginning of the year to 2.5% now. So as you can see, that's a, it's, it's, it's a very, very uh, quick pace of, of change. And the housing market responded almost immediately, where, whereas before it was characterized throughout the pandemic by bidding wars, multiple offers would come in on properties as soon as they hit the market. And within days, often, they could be sold for hundreds of thousands of dollars over asking. That stopped pretty much on a dime. Uh, and at first, you know, one bid might come in for a property and, and the property might sell at that uh, level. But then in the weeks that followed, gradually, you know, no bids would start coming in and houses would start to linger on the market. Then sellers have started to have to reduce their price uh, to try to try to move the property. And, and that's sort of what's been developing over the last few months. In a little bit, I want to talk to you about what that means for regular Canadians who own a home or Canadians who are hoping to buy a home. But first, as we've reported on our housing crisis over the past couple of years, one thing that people keep telling me is so much of it has been driven by people and businesses that are buying houses and apartments as an investment to rent out. Do we know how much of that market has been driven by investors? Right. Well, uh, we do, actually. The Bank of Canada has done research into this, and and their data shows that by the end of last year, um, uh, housing investors accounted for about a fifth of uh, the market, of uh, a fifth of new purchases of, of the turnover in the market. Uh, th that's a record share for that cohort, and it, it rose up quite quickly over the course of the pandemic uh, as... as uh, investors, prospective investors, were able to take advantage of the very low interest on offer to be able to get the financing to acquire new homes and found a greater incentive to try to get those homes because, you know, they saw valuations going up so quickly and it seemed like they better get in now before it was too late. Can you explain to our listeners simply how the housing as an investment model works for these investors and, you know, what made it such an attractive proposition during the pandemic or even a couple years before that? For the most part, most investors in Canada tend to buy houses to rent them out. Rents are, have been high and rising in many Canadian cities for a very long time. Vacancy rates are very low. Um, and so it's been a pretty uh, steady and reliable way to invest your money and get an income. 
And and that's what I think most housing investors do in Canada. Uh, there are variations on that. So sometimes they'll buy a property uh, and then renovate it, either to just fix it up, but more often to divide it into two units or three units. Maybe they'll put a different apartment on each floor and be able to command more rents from the that property than they would have otherwise. For the most part, though, rental income does seem to be the main objective of housing investors in Canada. And is that rental income just from, you know, long-term leases, or are we also talking about places being bought and rented for, you know, short-term rentals, Airbnbs? I, I think Airbnb is a, a, a an element of that. It's hard to tell exactly how many are, are short-term and how many are long-term. I, I do get the sense from my reporting, though, that um, you know, although maybe in some parts of cities like Toronto or or Vancouver, uh, maybe Montreal, uh, you know, or, or perhaps, you know, vacation destinations like cottage country, you, you know, you may see a, a higher prevalence of, of short-term rentals uh, and airbnb uh, But I think most of the investment activity in Canada is probably people looking for longer term rentals to to get a tenant in their longer term. And I was just going to say that there is, of course, people love to hear about and talk about this idea of flippers, uh, people who buy a property to to sell it on very quickly and, and reap a gain. And, and while that is a part of the market, and it's usually, you know, professional real estate investors who maybe have a number of investment properties, rental properties, who might if they see the opportunity to do that, try to flip. Um, and I, I think there probably was more of that activity uh, uh, over the course of the pandemic boom just because such a fast rate of price appreciation made it almost irresistible for some people when they had the opportunity. I'm not sure that in Canada there are that many investors who their business model is flipping. It's more of an opportunistic thing In 2007, TV network CBS dropped 40 kids in the middle of the New Mexico desert as part of a brand new reality show. These kids would have to build their own society from scratch. And if this sounds like Lord of the Flies to you, well, it was meant to. We were on this mission together. We were going to prove to the world that we could make a better society than adults could. I'm Josh Gwynn, and I want to know what this wild TV experiment was really about. Split Screen, Kid Nation, a six-part podcast from CBC. Available now. So how have these factors changed the investment proposition over the past, you know, I guess since March, as you mentioned, with the interest rates rising? Like, are the margins getting smaller? Are they vanishing? What's happening to investors? Right. Well, I mean, essentially... Um, when you have a, a rental property, when you're a housing investor, for the most, well, your main goal is rental income. But your costs are things like taxes. If it's a condo, it could be condo fees. The main cost, though, is probably your mortgage. It's the, the interest rate payments, principal payments you're making each month on that mortgage. And 
many investors or many people in general, frankly, over the past year particularly, have gone for variable rate mortgages because they were much more attractive in that period than fixed rate mortgages. But the downside of variable rate mortgages is that that interest rate rises when the Bank of Canada raises its interest rate. And so that means in the past three or four months, as the Bank of Canada has raised its benchmark interest rate very quickly, the interest rate payments on all those variable rate mortgages have gone up very quickly as well. And so that means the costs for these investors are going up very quickly as well. And often, even though rents have been rising in that time, you know, if you have a tenant in a unit right now, you can't just raise the rate anytime you want. You can't raise their rent anytime you want. In, in most jurisdictions, there's rent control. Most buildings, there's rent control. Even when there's not, you can only raise once a year in, in a city like Toronto. There are rules on this around the country. And so that means in many cases, their costs are starting to really outpace uh, their income if they haven't already far outpaced their income. That means you're losing money on the unit each month. And not many people can sustain that kind of, it's called negative cash flow, which is essentially paying out money each month on your investment as opposed to taking money in. So what happens then to the market in general when 20% of the market uh, starts shifting from investment income to negative income? Well, I mean, the first thing that happens is, you know, that that 20% was of new buyers, of people buying new properties. Everything that I've heard suggests that that's more or less disappeared. All these investors that were so active in the market, they're sitting on the sidelines. They, they don't want to take a risk on buying a property right now. You know, things so, so much in flux, they're not sure that the investment will prove out. But then add to that, many of them may be getting into trouble on the properties they already own in exactly the way that I just sketched out, you know, with negative cash flows becoming more of a problem. And because the investor doesn't, you know, live in the home, obviously, and the investor is is in it to to make an income or, or potentially in the long term uh, um, realize a gain from from selling the property. If it starts looking like, hey, you're not getting any cash flow right now and ooh, prices are falling, I may not get much gain in the future, I may as well sell now. And that just makes it tips the scales more and more and makes more of these investors as the situation continues and perhaps deteriorates, it makes more of the investors more likely to sell. And so for the market at large, you get a steady sort of drip of uh, what's called distressed listings. People who they kind of have to sell come into the market. And that means if you have to sell, you'll take any price you can get which, you know, pushes prices in general down further. You called it a drip, drip, drip. Can this kind of thing gather momentum as more people, either who are investing or who just can't afford uh, their mortgage with interest rates rising as they get out of the market? The idea of, of this kind of thing building on itself, it, it's something that, you know, a lot of economists worry about. The main mechanism for that to happen is generally when, you know, home values start falling so much, many people are underwater on their, on their property. And, and what that means is 
you know, the value of the property currently is less than the mortgage you have out on it, which when people look at that, they think, or they might think, well, why am I holding on to this thing? I'm, I'm just going to, I'm going to bail out. I'm going to get rid of it. I think because investors are, you know, obviously not the majority of the market, many people you know, who might be underwater on the on their home, they live in that home, it makes them very reluctant to sell. And so from their point of view, they might just be better off holding on. Because if they're going to be in the home for many years, valuations might rebound, and they may be okay in the long run. And, and the same thing may be true for investors, you know, perhaps don't have that negative cash flow each month. If, if say they don't have a mortgage on their investment property, even if the theoretical value of the uh, the property is is less than the mortgage. If they don't have any pressure to sell, they might just decide to hold on and hope things turn around. You know, I haven't heard many worries voiced that this sort of starts to to gather pace, as it were, and, and balloon. It, it's more that it could gather pace only if interest rates rise further. It all really depends on interest rates. It's more dependent on what the Bank of Canada does, what interest rates do, and whether or not, you know, investors can keep up on their monthly payments. So since you brought them up, I'll ask you, what does this mean for, you know, the average Canadian homeowner uh, who maybe doesn't rent out their home, doesn't consider it an investment, but has seen some of its value dissipate? And also, you know, as you mentioned off the top, probably took out a huge loan in order to afford this place during the boom times. Right. Well, I mean, any homeowner who took out a variable rate mortgage could see their monthly payments go up. National Bank of Canada has done some, you know, number crunching. And out of the the variable rate mortgages that are out there, their estimate shows about 60% are variable payment as well. So that means when the interest rate goes up, their monthly payments go up. 40% are, are called fixed payment variable rate mortgages, which means interest rates go up, but their monthly payments may not go up in tandem because the extra interest gets taken out of their principal repayment. So every when you have a mortgage every month, you make a payment, part of that goes to interest, part of that goes to paying down the principal on the loan. And with these fixed payment variable rate mortgages, you pay more in interest, but you just end up taking that out of the principal repayment. Thing is, interest rates have now gone up so far so fast that on some of these mortgages, there may not be very much principal repayment left. All of that money may already be taken up by interest, uh, the increased interest payment, which means even these people who opted for a, a fixed plan may end up having to pay out more money each month. Now, does that necessarily get all these these people into financial difficulty, maybe not. Maybe they can end up doing some belt tightening elsewhere and they're okay. Could drag on their consumer spending. It could drag on the wider Canadian economy in that way. Uh, but like I said earlier, people who live in their homes are generally very reluctant to, to sell them. Um, and it's generally a sort of a, a last resort. So whether or not all those people become a sort of drag on the market or are forced to sell, it, it doesn't seem like an immediate worry, but it could just mean some belt tightening in the near term. 
And what about the rental market? You know, we talked about rising rent costs uh, with all these investors, or at least some of these investors, uh, trying to move out of the market. Does that drive rates higher? Does does it go down? Yeah, it's it's sort of a, a double whammy here, which is, you know, things are getting harder for property owners, but, but it, that in turn actually could end up making things harder for renters as well. Because, you know, in the way the real estate market would normally work, Every year, a certain number of people uh, go from renting to buying. They end up buying a home, and and that frees up some rental units for other people that need them. The thing is, with this rise in interest rates, the cost of buying a new home or buying a home has become more expensive than, by some estimates, it's ever been. The, the decline in values we've seen so far has just not been enough to keep up with the rise in mortgage rates, which for many people is, is the cost of getting into the ownership market. A lot of people who might have otherwise left the rental market and bought won't be doing that. They'll be renting for longer, uh, which seems to be a recipe for vacancy rates to fall and rents to rise. And, and we're actually already seeing that in some, some major cities. So last question then, what will you be watching for in the next few months? Obviously, interest rates possibly hiked again. When will we know that? And what else are you looking at? Well, I think an important, uh, you know, the driving factor in all this will be interest rates. So, you know, the Bank of Canada has a meeting scheduled periodically. And, and so that is when they have the opportunity to to raise or lower rates. And they've signaled in their last communique that to expect another rate hike, the market is sort of bracing for that. But the truth is, I mean, rates have risen so far already. And, and these things generally hit on a bit of a lag for the real estate market. And so we really haven't seen the full impact yet of the rise in interest rates we've already seen. That will start to play out over the next few months as uh, investors and just regular homeowners start to deal with this persistent higher cost in their monthly budget. And when it comes to investors, you know, more and more hit their breaking point and get to the point of, okay, I can't sustain these any longer. It doesn't seem to be getting any better. What do I do? And so that's why there's sort of a, an expectation that there'll be a steady drip of, of, of these people maybe offloading properties into the market. I th- so I think that is going to play out. And then, you know, in the sort of longer term, maybe getting into the fall and, and later, it'll all depend on what interest rates the Bank of Canada does, and what the broader economy does. A lot of people are worried about a recession, that you know the Bank of Canada's interest rate increases, attempts to, to slow down inflation, ends up slowing down the whole economy so much. And if a, a recession comes up, uh, well, that may endanger some people's employment, which then starts getting regular people, not just investors, the broader economic sort of scenario is something to, to keep an eye on, too, as the effect of these, these rate increases filter into the, the economy. All sorts of fun things to look forward to. <laughs> yeah, it's a really, really fraught uh, time in, in the Canadian housing market and, and the Canadian economy. So uh, lots to keep an eye on. Ari, thank you for walking us through this. No problem. It was a pleasure. Thanks. Thanks a lot for having me. Ari Altstetter reporting on the housing market for Bloomberg. 
That was The Big Story. For more from us, head to thebigstorypodcast.ca. You can, of course, find us on Twitter at TheBigStoryFPN. Share your housing market horror stories, if you have any. You can also email us with story ideas anytime. Hello at TheBigStoryPodcast.ca. Or you can call us up and rant and rave or just say something nice. The phone number is 416-935-5935. The Big Story is available in every conceivable podcast player on Earth. And all you got to do to get it on your smart speaker is say, play The Big Story podcast. Thanks for listening. I'm Jordan Heath-Rawlings. We'll talk tomorrow. In 2007, TV network CBS dropped 40 kids in the middle of the New Mexico desert as part of a brand new reality show. These kids would have to build their own society from scratch. And if this sounds like Lord of the Flies to you, well, it was meant to. We were on this mission together and we were gonna prove to the world that we could make a better society than adults could. I'm Josh Gwynn, and I want to know what this wild TV experiment was really about. Split Screen, Kid Nation, a six-part podcast from CBC. Available now.